What's in your heart must be expressed with your words. Your outward physical body says that where there are hives or boils or whatever, it shows an inward problem. If your words outwardly are profane, it shows a profane heart. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Last week, we began a short series of messages we're calling Heartbeats. It's a heartfelt look at our culture. You know, the words we use speak volumes about who we are as people. So why has coarse language become so accepted in our society? Here's David with a look at the consequences of profanity. Today I'm going to deal with profanity. On this issue of profanity, I got one email. One. And and I've been asking myself all week, why with the others, I got dozens upon dozens, why did this one only generate one question? And I think it may be because of the coarseness of our culture. That profanity has just become an acceptable part of our culture. Uh, I interviewed Bob Knight one time, and I'll never forget, he's a very colorful, languaged person, if you don't know. And he's the former coach at Indiana. And he said to me, you know, I think... um, Coach Smith was the master of the four corners offense, and I was the master of the four-letter word. And and that's probably true. And it hit me, well, why did Coach Smith take that stand never to cuss? It was a commitment he made as a young man. And here's what he told me when I asked him that question. He said, David, I don't want people to know I'm as dumb as they think they are, as they think think I am. He said, "I, I want them to know that I can choose better words. And then he said something very powerful I'll never forget. He said, you know, I'm just better than that. I'm better than that. And when he said that to me, I could almost hear the Lord say to me in every area of my life, if you're one of my followers, you should be better than that. Better than the culture's view on a lot of different issues like the ones we're looking at right now. So I'm going to primarily speak to those of you who are Christ followers today. For those of you who are spiritual seekers, though, I hope you'll see in this message the high calling that Jesus has for his people. So let's begin by quoting together Psalm 19:14. I'm going to do the beginning, you'll do the second part. I'll go let the words of my mouth and you respond and the meditations of our hearts and then I'll end it. Psalm 19:14, okay? Lord, let the words of my mouth and be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Notice the connection between words and the heart. The words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts. From Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. And I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. Now notice when Isaiah had an experience with God, and he was overcome by the holiness of God, the first thing that was challenged in his life was the fact he felt he had unclean lips. And he lived in a coarse culture of unclean lips. First thing that came over him when he experienced the holiness of God. Proverbs 10, 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Notice the connection between words and heart. Titus 2.8, Paul's talking about 
sound speech among Jesus followers. He said, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. That word sound speech means pure, fit, disciplined. It's the kind of word that's used for a fit, healthy body. So our words should be sound and fit and disciplined like a sound and fit and disciplined healthy body. That way, no opponent of Jesus can ever find any reason to put Jesus and us to shame. Ephesians 4.29 from the Apostle Paul, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That term, corrupting talk, means rotten fruit, spoiled food. So don't let rotten, spoiled words that are like rotten, spoiled fruit come out of your mouth. But use words instead to build up and to give grace, Paul said. Ephesians 5, 4, Paul said, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, out of place for followers of Jesus. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So don't let your words be filthy or contain foolish talk. And I, and I think that would include gossip and slander and abusive talk, but for profanity is our message today. Especially crude or coarse joking. Don't laugh at them. Don't tell them. They're inappropriate. They're out of place. But use your tongues for thanksgiving, Paul said. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does the last phrase say, folks? Think on these things. Think about these things. What's pure and honorable and excellent, etc. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Words begin with what happens in your mind, what you think. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And finally, from the words of Jesus himself, talking to the scribes and Pharisees who lived a life of hypocrisy, their words and their hearts not matching, he said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Chilling. And Jesus is basically saying the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. What's in your heart must be expressed with your words. Your outward physical body says that where there are hives or boils or whatever, it shows an inward problem. If your words outwardly are profane, it shows a profane heart. And we're held accountable for what we say. Ouch. Let's first of all try to understand this word profanity. It comes from the word profane, which means to treat something sacred with abuse. To treat something sacred with irreverence. 
to treat something sacred with contempt, to take something sacred and make it vulgar. So profanity or what is profane is taking something that's wonderful and good that's given to us by God and turning it into something common, something coarse, something casual. That's what profanity is, taking the wonderful gift of speech and words that were intended to edify and encourage and give thanksgiving and gratitude and turning them into coarse words that aren't part of the sacred nature of God. Let me give you a brief American history of profanity. The United States was formed generally by a Judeo-Christian ethic which taught the scriptures that I just read to you and others that our words should match our hearts. Interestingly, George Washington, the father of our nation, when he was commanding the Revolutionary War Army, he wrote out a manual telling his soldiers not to use profanity. Can you imagine that in the military today? But George Washington so wanted his troops to be above reproach, to be better than that. He asked them never to use profanity. And I think that generally guided America, though there were pockets of profane language all around, but not in the entertainment industry until 1939, when the Filmmakers Association decided that if a literary work was being translated into a movie and there was something said in the movie that could not be uh, missed in, something in the book that could not be missed in the movie, it need to be stated. So some of you may have seen or even remember back in 1939 the movie Gone with the Wind when Rhett Butler, in great frustration, looked at Scarlett O'Hara and he said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a D. That opened the door. And after that first use of profanity, slowly but surely, that kind of language became more acceptable in movies and then in television. Fast forward to 1981, the first F-bomb on television was dropped on Saturday Night Live. Doesn't surprise you, does it? In a J.R. Ewing parody, Who Shot J.R. Ewing? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably don't have gray hair. For those of us who remember, it was a parody about Dallas and one of the big questions of the day, who shot one of the major characters, J.R. Ewing? So the F-bomb is dropped first in 1981 on television. In the early 1990s, NYPD Blue starts saying the S-word. And in one episode, the S-word was used more often than all the decades previously combined. And it's only exacerbated since then, to the point where in this past year, one movie critic counted up over 400 times in a movie the F-bomb was dropped. In the same movie, over 200 times, characters said GD. So it's become commonplace in our culture. It's just a part of our normal life. And that's the reason, I guess, I only got one question regarding this subject. Shock jocks use it. Sirius Satellite Radio has it on a lot of channels if you want to go there. It's just commonplace. 
I remember a song my brother Howard used to sing long ago. He's a great singer. And he, when he was a teen, he used to sing a song from a Broadway musical, and it went like this. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows. Anything goes. Good authors used once only better words, now only use four-letter words, writing prose. Anything goes. And that's what's happened. Anything goes, especially with our speech. And folks, it's even crossed over into Christian acceptability. It has. In 2009, a famous author wrote a book and called one of America's foremost hip, cool pastors the cussing preacher. He regularly would drop profanity in his messages. A couple of years ago, I met with one of the most famous young pastors in America, and we were sitting and dialoguing about the gospel and culture and things like that, and I asked him two questions. I said, please help me understand, first of all, the mammoth use of alcohol among Christians and Christian pastors today. Now, now go back and listen to my message a couple weeks ago. I, I can't teach teetotaling from the Bible. You just can't, but I can preach against drunkenness. And there seems to be an awful lot of alcohol usage in our culture, and especially now among pastors. I said, explain that to me. Then the second question I asked him, and explain to me how many young, cool, hip pastors can cuss, use profanity, and it not bother them. And you could see his rear end bouncing in his seat as he was very uncomfortable with my questions, as he should have been. I've asked Christians, how do you get off on using the words you use that are considered profane, taking the sacred and making them common and vulgar? And here are the three answers generally given to me. First of all, it helps me relate to people and share the gospel. <laughs> are you kidding me? I thought we were supposed to lift people up to the holiness of Christ by our life, not get in the gutter and become like them. Really? I thought we're supposed to be better than that. Secondly, I'm under a lot of pressure, and it relieves pressure for me to cuss and to be profane. I go, really? Let me give you another hint. Exercise. Eat well. There are other ways to alleviate pressure than just blowing off profanity. And finally, even Christians, but this is commonplace in the world, they say, they're just words. They're just sounds that come out of your mouth when you form your mouth and tongue a certain way. Well, folks, words mean something. Behind every word is a meaning. Jesus in John 1.1 is called the word made flesh. And if you think words don't have any meaning, let me ask you this question. For those of us who are Caucasian, do you use the N-word with your African-American friends and associates? Why not? Because the word's offensive. The word has a meaning behind it. It's a degradation of darker-skin-hued people. Or here's another one. Do you use the C word with women? Why don't you? Because it's offensive. It degrades women. It makes them something they're not. So, so words have meanings. And for those who say, oh, it's just a word, we all guard our words. 
Should we not then guard our words, not caring what other people think, but what God thinks? If we are overcome by his presence and he lives in us, aren't we better than that? Shouldn't our language not be profane? Shouldn't we be better than that? Let me give you three thoughts on profanity that if I had 35 minutes with you in my office, here's what I'd say to you. First of all, don't ever use the Lord's name in vain, ever. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, that's what God said in one of the big ten, one of the ten commandments. He said, you shall not use my name in vain. The name of God is the highest name above all names. He's the creator of the universe, the holy one of the universe. And his son, Jesus Christ, is the revelation of God's character, who he is. When you take the Lord's name in vain, what you're basically doing is saying, the creator of this universe and the revelation of himself in Jesus Christ basically has no power. It's vanity to call upon his name. And God wanted his name and the name of Jesus not to be expressed in profanity when we're frustrated or whatever. He wanted it to be exalted above all the names in all of the universe. In fact, in Philippians 2.11, Paul said, One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus that he is Lord. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a conversation about how criticism not only affects the person receiving it. We'll be right back. I'm Mark McManus with Moments of Hope Church's Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. With me in the studio today is Tony Marciano, Executive Director of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, tell us about the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Mark, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, everything we do is about transformation. With a focus on individuals struggling with addiction, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And we accomplish that by providing professional, Christian, residential recovery services free of charge. Now let me back up for just a moment and explain all that to you. When I say the word transformation, I get those marching orders from John 6, a very interesting chapter of the Bible, where on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That night, the disciples float across the lake. Jesus follows them by walking across the lake, and the next day, the crowd gets in boats and follows them. But on day two, Jesus chooses not to feed them and begins to preach at them, and they all leave. I think in that one chapter, it's the heart of God for the poor, where God says on day one, I love you so much, I accept you just as you are. But day two, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation that we focus on every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. I mentioned we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And that root cause is shame. Guilt is when I make a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. And if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And then I wrapped it up by saying we address this by providing professional, free, Christian residential recovery services. I like to use the verses out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Mark, I believe firmly that when someone realizes that God's love is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not conditional, but unconditional, when they have that aha moment that God loves them, all the shame in their soul goes away because they know they are fully accepted by God, not for what they've done, but simply because 
God loves them. And that's what we do every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. Love to have you get involved. Please go to our webpage, charlotterescuemission.org, for ways that you can impact the people we serve. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great being with you, Jen, as well. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you have recently started a series that you're calling Davidisms. One that I read last week made me think. You said, no one has ever erected a statue to a critic. I would love for you to unpack this for us. Well, thanks, Jen. These Davidisms, as we are affectionately calling them, are all lessons I've learned from my dad, life mentors, coaches, whomever, and I just love sharing them with people. So they ask us to put them down on paper, and we chose to do so. So here's one. As you mentioned today, no one has ever erected a statue to a critic. Um, Here's what that's trying to say. Jen, listeners, have you ever seen a statue erected to a critic? Well, I haven't. Mm -hmm. And doling out criticism is easy, and it never costs you anything. People love to criticize and find fault with other people. But in the end, it's the people who stand up for something, for a cause, for truth, for a conviction, who have statues erected in their honor, who are respected and remembered for the goodness they brought to others for years to come because of their courage to take a stand. In other words, courageous people are the ones most admired in our culture and throughout the world. In fact, God commands us to be courageous. He says to his servant Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's in Joshua 1.9. Mm. So God's command to Joshua is the same for us us as well today. Be strong. Be courageous. Take stands. God does not need people who are weak in order to carry his cause in our culture today. Mm -hmm. So here's the call that God asks us to do. Do great things for God, his kingdom, and other people. That's what will allow a statue Mm -hmm. to be erected to you. Mm -hmm. Don't be a critic. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on the sidelines and criticize other people, especially who are trying to make a difference in the world. For in the end, and here was my point in the blog, Jen, no one ever erects a statue to a critic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really insightful way to remember not to have a critical spirit. And I feel like that is rampant right now. That's just in the air is to be critical of people. Gosh, I couldn't agree more uh, how quickly people jump on social media to criticize whomever it might be. Mm -hmm. And I even see it now among Christians who take shots at other pastors, other believers, and I just don't understand how we can so quickly do that. You know, biblically, that kind of action is called slander. Mm -hmm. And in God's eyes, that's as hideous a sin as sexual immorality and even pride. Mm -hmm. God hates slander, and yet we're so quickly slanderous of other people. I think the critical side of folks has been exacerbated for a lot of different reasons in our culture. It needs to stop. Mm -hmm. And we need to use our words to build up other people, to encourage other people, not to criticize other people. Again, no one's ever erected a statue to a critic. In the end, people who are critical are cast aside and no one really wants to listen to what they have to say. Yeah, they're truly forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. So let's be people who encourage today. Let's be courageous people who take stands because those are the kind of people who have statues erected to them. And listeners, if you would like to
to receive my daily e-blast, my daily moment of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. It's my gift to you. It's free of charge so that every day you can start off your morning at 7 a.m. with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from a series called Heartbeats from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the teachers in our school system. 